Good morning. Thank you for watching uh, this week's service um, online from Snell's Beach Baptist Church. There's a, there's a small malfunction on Sunday, and I, um, for some reason, didn't get any sound at all in the video. So um, this is a, a separate recording for those of you who um, aren't able to make it. Um, glad, glad you still can listen. Um, glad some of you who were with us in person are still able to, um, to listen back to um, some of the things that uh, maybe you didn't catch or uh, was talking too fast for you to uh, for you to get fully. So glad that you're with us. Would you uh, just join with me in, in praying very quickly before we come to the Lord's word? Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this um, this day, for this time for, for us to uh, come and sit under your word to be taught by your Holy Spirit um, as you speak through me. Lord, I, I pray that that's exactly what you would do that as I am faithful to what uh, your Holy Spirit inspired and and put down in this book that um, through me your people would hear your voice uh, and not mine. Would you give me the the wisdom and the patience to do this and to do this well? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you ever have you ever read a good a good mystery novel, or maybe watched one of the 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 new kind of psychological thrillers, those stories that are mysterious until the very end, where one piece of the puzzle is laid out and suddenly all of the loose ends that the author had left lying in the open begin to come together. You know, when when someone like Sherlock Holmes begins to walk back through all the way from the beginning of the story and he puts every clue in its proper place and you think, how on earth did I miss that? And, and of course, the, the next time through, if you reread it, it all seems so clear, but the first time you read or watched the story, it was all a mystery. I think the book of Jonah is like that. And our missing piece is Jonah's motivation. Why run? Why is he so angry? You know, if we, if we stop at chapter 3, it seems like Jonah is a pretty good story. There's a nice round end to it. You know, whatever problems Jonah has, they were fixed by his little holiday inside the fish. And if we stop at chapter 3, the Jonah of, uh, the, sorry, the story of Jonah is the story of a reluctant prophet who ends up doing what is right and, and the city is saved. But we know that life isn't really like that. And that, that's part of what makes reading the Bible so interesting for me, so, uh, so um, inviting. Because it isn't, it isn't airbrushed. This is true history, you know, written by God. If, if, if that wasn't enough for me to read it, this is, this is really interesting material. God doesn't spare any detail. Right? Our histories, we always, we always touch them up a little bit. We, we airbrush them. But the Bible shows people as bad as they are. Even the heroes are shown broken and bleeding. So before we finish Jonah, let's take a, a look at this final chapter. Let's, let's look at that missing piece, the final clue. I want us to see what has been going on inside Jonah's head, and that's what, that's what uh, we have in this book as well. So would you turn with me to, to Jonah chapter 4? Before we really dive into chapter 4 today, I want to run through all that we've seen so far. You know, chapters 1 through 3, because while we've been taking it in bite-sized pieces each week, it was a, a meal, really, this story. was It was a meal meant for one sitting. I said in our first look at Jonah back in, 
in early April that, that Jonah doesn't really resolve, right? Most stories are like a, a mountain. There's a, a journey to the top, and at the top of the mountain, we have this peak, right? The, the, the peak of the story. The, the characters do what they set out to do, right? The, the ring is destroyed. The white witch is defeated. The package is delivered. Maybe the garden gets weeded. I don't, I don't know what stories you read, but, but what, what they set out to do is accomplished, and then after this, the, the action kind of winds down and the story resolves. Jonah moves up and up and up and up towards this high point where we, we see in chapter 4, we're getting close to that point where, where we, what was supposed to happen is, is getting there. But then right before we get to the peak, it ends. You know, we don't even know if what was supposed to happen happens. Because this is a story about Jonah, after all. Right? We, we are left with a, a question mark at the end of the story. Nineveh and the sailors, those are all peripheral, outside things. What we want to know is, is Jonah going to be obedient? And if we stop in chapter 3, the answer is yes. But when we get to chapter 4, we see maybe not. We don't know what happens to Jonah at the end of this story. So before we look closely at chapter 4, I, I want to go back to the beginning and I want to walk us through so that we... When we see this, we can see it a little bit like what it would be to, uh, to listen to it for the first time. So you can follow along in your Bibles if you would like. I'm just going to speed through the first three chapters, and then we'll get to chapter four. So our story begins like the other prophetic books in the Old Testament, right? The, the, the verse one says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, right? And so we, we need to read this book as more than just a story. It is a, a word of warning, just like the other prophetic books are. Jonah is, is inside this group of 12, what we call minor or shorter prophets. So we, we read Jonah like these other ones, as a word to Israel. It is, it is a word of warning to the nation of Israel. And so as, as the people of God today, it is also a word of warning to us. Right, so verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and God told him to go and call out against Nineveh a very large and a very evil city. In fact, Nineveh was one of the main enemies of Israel. But instead of obeying God, Jonah runs away. Right? We said God says go east, and Jonah runs due west and finds a ship heading out to open sea. Okay, and so our, our runaway prophet hops on this boat, and he's, he's trying specifically, the story says, to get away from the presence of the Lord. But God comes after him by sending a storm on the sea. Even the, the sailors, who were rough men, just like sailors are today, just like sailors have always been, these rough men, even they are terrified at this storm. And they're throwing everything out of the boat, sacrificing everything that, they've, that they have, to make the gods happy, to try and whatever God is angry at us and is throwing the storm at us, we want, we want it to be happy. But when this doesn't work and the boat is empty, they finally drag Jonah up out of the, the cargo hold and, and decide to throw dice to see whose fault the storm is, right? Because Jonah is, is still quiet. But once the dice point him out and they ask him what is going on, finally he tells them he worships Yahweh. In fact, he's, he's running from this Israel's God, Yahweh. He's the, the God of Israel, the one who made the, the heavens and the sea and the dry land. You know, try, try to think of something in this world that doesn't fit into one of those categories. Heavens, sea, and dry land. And so these sailors recognize that 
this prophet is really not all that bright because if he's in charge of all of that, then there's nowhere Jonah can run. Okay, so Jonah is cornered, but instead of telling the sailors to turn the ship around and bring him back to shore, he has them chuck him into the sea. But the sailors recognize that this God who made all things, who made all living things, probably wouldn't be very happy if they just killed this guy. And so they try to row back to shore. But as long as Jonah is going back against his will, there is no way that these sailors can row against God himself to get Jonah back to shore. So eventually they apologize to the Lord and they hurl Jonah overboard. That brings us through chapter one into chapter two. And so Jonah is cast into the ocean, right, in chapter two, and the, the currents pull him down to the bottom of the sea where there's no up or down, there's no light from the sun. And as, as Jonah begins to take on water and, and lose consciousness, maybe he, he kind of feels something, right, something weird. Suddenly he realizes that, that the death he expected to come in the next minute hasn't come. It's been two minutes and five minutes and 10 minutes and an hour and he's not dead and he can feel himself kind of being carried along at the bottom of the ocean floor. What, what happened we know is that God had appointed a fish to save Jonah from the death that he had asked for. This fish had swallowed him and was carrying him along the ocean. And so Jonah thanks God from inside the belly of the fish for his mercy in chapter two. And then the fish vomits Jonah out onto dry land. So chapter three starts now that Jonah has been hurled from the ship into the sea and hurled again from the sea into dry land, the word of God comes to him a second time. But we said, uh, this is not a second word. This is the same word to Nineveh. And the question is, will Jonah now be obedient? And this time Jonah goes. Jonah goes to this huge city. And, in, and when he steps into the city, Jonah calls out 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the, the people of this city hear the word and it spreads through the city until it reaches the king and everyone from the richest to the poorest begin to respond to God and they call out to him to have mercy on them. And God does. He decides not to send the disaster onto Nineveh that he had warned them about. And this is where we pick up our story. I'm, I'm going to begin reading today in chapter 3, verse 10. Did you hear, hear the word of the Lord? When God saw what they did, that's the city of Nineveh, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still in my own country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city, and he, and he sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade until he should see what would become of the city. Well, now the, the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah so that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. And 
But when, when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed again a, a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for this plant? And he said, yes, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And then and, and the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not grow and did, did not labor, sorry, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their left hand from their right, and also much cattle. Jonah is angry. But God has an answer for Jonah. Jonah is angry that God would show mercy to the people of Nineveh. And, and believe me, these are wicked People, people who not only slaughtered their enemies, but killed them in horrible and dehumanizing ways and then displayed them on, on the walls of their cities as a warning to others, don't mess with us. But still, God has an answer for Jonah. Jonah has been dragging his feet throughout this whole book and all of his attempts to sabotage God's plans have failed. But we still haven't seen yet why Jonah acts the way he does. Why run away? Why ask to be killed? Well, finally, the writer of the story, whoever put this down, tells us in Jonah's own words. And under this withered plant, we get to hear a conversation between the holy God of love and mercy and his runaway and rebellious prophet. So today I want us to look at, at these two things. First, Jonah's anger, and second, God's answer. First, Jonah's anger. Look at verses 1 through 4. In, in verses 1 through 4, we see Jonah's reaction to God's mercy on Nineveh. There's a, there's a play of words in here in, in Hebrew that really doesn't come through in English because obviously the words don't sound the same. And I, I, I want to draw this out because it points us to the importance of slowing down and seeing this. Right, so, so after the Ninevites turn from their wickedness, we, we read in, in chapter 3, verse 10, when God saw what they had done. God saw. This word in Hebrew is vayar. Vayar. But when God does not do what he threatened, it says that this was greatly evil to Jonah. And, and, and that word for Jonah is vayera. Vayera. So when, when God sees uh, the repentance of, of Nineveh, it is, it is vayar. And, and to Jonah, it is evil. That's vayera. Right, so the, the writer is pointing out, look at these two reactions to, to what is happening to this mercy. Jonah's response is the exact opposite of God's response. And Jonah will give God the reason why he is so angry. We, we see this in verse 2. Jonah is, is so angry. He says, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? Isn't this why I ran away in the first place to Tarshish? Because I knew, I knew you are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. I knew, he says, that if I went to Nineveh and they responded, you would spare them. And I can't stand that. And then Jonah says something I think we, 
we sometimes don't pay attention to, or maybe we, we, we brush past it a little bit. He says, therefore, take my life from me, for my death is better than my life. Take a second to see just the logic, the logic of Jonah's request, right? Why does he ask to die? He says, I knew you were a God merciful and gracious. Therefore, please take my life. Jonah isn't upset at Nineveh. He's upset at God. One person put it this way. He said, Jonah would prefer death to serving this patient, forgiving Yahweh, the God who refuses to limit his grace to just Israel. Jonah is not just having a, a tantrum. He would really rather die than have God be consistent with his promises. Right? This is the exact opposite of someone like Moses. Do you remember Moses when Israel had just been released out of slavery in Egypt? God had delivered them through the Red Sea. And, and just a few days after Moses goes up the mountain, they make a calf out of gold. And they begin to worship it and say, thank you for leading us out of Egypt. So the, the Lord is angry and, and God wants to destroy Israel and make a, a nation out of Moses. And there's this, this chapter, chapters from uh, 32 to 34 in Exodus. We see this um, interaction between Moses and God up on the mountain. And Moses in, in Exodus 32, because of the promises that God made to Israel, Moses tries to spare the nation. And Moses says this, he says, if you will not forgive their sin, Please blot me out of your book that you have written instead. Right? Moses would rather die than see God act out of character, than see God forsake his promises. Moses knew these people were evil. They had just spat in God's face, but he didn't want to see God act out of character. He would rather die than see that happen. Jonah would rather die than see God act according to his character. Jonah isn't angry because he doesn't understand who God is or why he's doing what he's doing. Jonah is angry exactly because he cannot stand to see God's character, this mercy and love directed at anyone other than Israel. And so God asks Jonah a question. Do you do well? Is it good that you are angry? He asks. So this question is at the center of the story. Right? It's, it's asked again in, in, the, in the story. And this, this question was, was really made to in, invite the, the reader or the hearer, you know, and that includes me and you, to think back on this story that we've just read. God asks Jonah to look at his attitude, and we are asked as the listeners of this story to think back with Jonah. Something that, that came to my mind as I was preparing this week is, is the question, have, have I ever been filled with this compassion of Moses, right? Willing to be blotted out from the book of life so that others might take my place in God's presence. I don't, I don't mean this in a, in a kind of sentimental way, like, oh yes, I'd, I think I could do that. You know, the, the kind of way that makes most of us think that we would have what it takes to take a bullet for a stranger. No, Paul, Paul, Paul the Apostle really felt this way about the Jews of his day that had rejected their Messiah. He said, I could wish myself that I was accursed for their sake. So as, as I've been studying and, and, and seeing this connection to Moses, the question that came to me is, 
Have I ever felt this? Have I ever felt this deep in my gut, painful kind of compassion? I think I've, I've tried, but I'm, I'm too much like Jonah. And as, as close as I get to this kind of compassion, even, um, you know, especially in my most self-righteous kind of moments, I can't bring myself to actually wish that upon myself. You know, to be, to be cast off from God forever. I am too much like this prophet. You know, honestly, and, and please hear this, Scripture does not put this burden on us. This is not something that, I, that I'm trying to say we should feel. Let me, let me repeat that. This is not something expected of us from God. I don't want you to think that if you don't have this compassion, you are like Jonah. Because the truth is, to be cast off from God's presence for the sake of others is a burden none of us could possibly bear. But there was one who did just this. He left his position in heaven to be made human and to bear our sin. Jesus Christ, the Bible says, emptied himself and humbled himself to the point of death, the death we should have died. And in a, in a story that was written to reveal the mercy and the compassion of God, it's really not a, a big jump for us to move from Jonah or the, this uh, mercy and God, mercy and grace that we see in the character of God in the story of Jonah to Jesus Christ. You know, the, the punishment that, that we should have to pay, the punishment that Nineveh should have had to pay after those 40 days, it was all put on Jesus Christ. Romans 3.25 says that, that because of the cross, God was able to have patience with sins committed beforehand. So how different is Jesus Christ? This one who died so that God could remain holy and righteous while still offering his love and mercy to sinners. Right? The cross is the only way God can do that. So how different is Jesus from this miserable prophet who is begging for his life to be taken so he doesn't have to serve a God of holy love and righteous mercy? Take my life, Jonah says. My death is better than any life with this God of mercy. And now we see God's answer. And once again, God does not give Jonah his death wish. Right? God's, God's answer is merciful. God is merciful to this prophet, even while he is an enemy. And Jonah, Jonah leaves the city and he, he sets up a camp so that he can wait to see the fire and brimstone that fell on Sodom and Gomorrah fall on Nineveh as well. And so he, he sits down in the desert to wait. So again, he's not that bright. I'm not sure if you've ever been to the Middle East. But if you have, you know it gets a little warm there. Especially when the, when the sun is directly overhead. And, and the heat there can be deadly. And whatever shelter Jonah was able to make with the spare rock and the little scraps of shrubs would not have had a very good chance of keeping him cool in the middle of the day. So God appoints a plant, just like he appointed a fish, to save Jonah from the threat of death. God shows mercy to Jonah, even in the middle of Jonah's hatred of God. But then God sends two other things, right? He sent the fish, he sent the plant, but now he's going to send two more things. Chapter 4 and verse 7 says that God appointed a worm the next day. The worm eats the plant and it withers. 
leaving Jonah without the shade that he had enjoyed the day before. And then in verse 8, it says, God appointed a scorching east wind, right? This is to to the east of Nineveh is a, a desert. So the wind is blowing in from the desert. It is hot and dry. So now Jonah is at least a little bit uncomfortable. And so he calls out to God again and asks to die. This is the last straw. And and once again, God answers Jonah. He says, do you do well, Jonah, to be angry? It's translated sometimes, what right do you have, Jonah, to be angry for this little plant? We've seen Jonah's anger, right? His, His anger at Nineveh for the violence, for their violence. But this anger is really rooted in his pride as a Hebrew and his anger at God because for Jonah, God is the God of the Hebrews. Jonah is angry. And we, we saw just a glimpse of how God will answer Jonah in verse 4 when he said, do you do well to be angry? But now we see God's answer involves a little bit more than just words, more than just this question. God uses the plant and the worm, the sun and, and the wind to teach Jonah a lesson about mercy. Verses 10 and 11 use the lesson of the plant to expose Jonah's spiritual pride and his religious nationalism. God appointed the plant and the worm and the wind to teach Jonah a lesson. And this lesson has has two parts. Verse 10 reveals uh, the shame in Jonah's care for the plant. And verse 11 teaches us about the, the scandal of God's care for the city. So God's answer to Jonah comes through this um, elaborate lesson, and it it comes in two parts. Again, the the shame in Jonah's care for the plant and the scandal of God's care for the city. So look at verse 10 with me. In verse 10, Jonah challenges, uh, sorry, God challenges Jonah's right to be concerned for the plant. He says to Jonah, you have compassion on the plant for which you did not labor, you did not make it grow. It sprang up in a night and it died in a night. Remember what what we read when the plant came up, right? Back in in verse 6 or 7, in verse 6, that Jonah was exceedingly glad for the plant, right? And this this kind of reminds us of what we read in verse 1, right? Jonah was exceedingly displeased in chapter 4, verse 1. A very, a very literal and stiff translation of verse 1, right, of Jonah's reaction to God's mercy on the city is, um, we could translate it, it was evil to Jonah as a great evil. It was evil as an evil, right? But when God shows mercy on Jonah and sends the plant, Jonah is, uh, we could translate it, happy with great happiness, Right? So there's this, again, this comparison between the way Jonah responds to God's mercy to others and the way he responds with God's mercy to him. When mercy comes to other people, people who aren't Hebrews, it is evil of all evils. But when mercy comes to Jonah, it is joy of all joys. Well, let me just say, before we get too hard on Jonah, I think we need to remember this is a pretty typical human response. A normal human mindset. Remember, Jonah in this story is supposed to be a mirror for ancient Israel, and he he is a mirror for our own behaviors and attitudes as well. How many of us have, um, have felt just a little bit of satisfaction 
or maybe even joy when the people we disagree with are, are roadblocked somehow in their lives. You know, that, that, that smile you get when you're driving and that person who, who cut you off a little bit um, with, with a little bit of rudeness, you know, one kilometer down the road is pulled over behind some flashing lights and you kind of smile and chuckle as you pass them. Jonah's spiritual pride really is the, the grandfather of any positive emotion that we have at someone else's failure. This nationalism that Jonah holds onto, this idea that God's grace is only for Hebrews, we do this too, every day. Anytime we fail to see the punishment that we are saved from, whenever we start to feel as if God owes us something because of our, our obedience or our faith, we forget that God's pursuit of us is all of grace. The way he has allowed us, called us into a relationship with him is mercy. You know, God has mercy on Nineveh because they are under his authority as the creator of all things. Why can God see the value in this city when Jonah can't? You know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this more in a second in verse 11, but um, Jonah sees more value in this little plant that came up for a day than in a city of, of over 100,000 people. He has great concern, and the, the words is even compassion for this little plant when it dies because it was useful to him. But Jonah hadn't done anything that would even give this plant value. He hadn't planted it. He hadn't watered it. He didn't pull weeds or shade it from the, the hot sun. He didn't even keep animals away from eating any of the, the new green leaves. If one of Norma Miller's rose bushes dies, I think she has every right to feel sad. These are beautiful bushes that she has cultivated for years, and they are expressions of tender love and constant care. You know, they've been taken through high winds and dry summers. But Jonah's little weed, he hadn't done a thing for it. God had caused it to come up and give him shade, and God had caused it to be cut down. What right does Jonah have to feel so much compassion for this plant that was only a day old? Is it really good for you, Jonah, to be so concerned about this plant, God asks? And Jonah actually, he doesn't see what's coming. Jonah takes the bait. Yeah, he says. Yeah, I am, I am angry. I do, it, is, it is good for me to be angry. I'm, I'm angry enough to die. Well, then God responds to him in, in, um, in verse 10 and 11. And, and his response in verse 11 is, is a bit confusing, honestly. But I think when we look at it carefully, it's brilliant. The book closes with this. God says, well, then should I, not have, should, should I not also have compassion on Nineveh? This huge city of, of 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? The, the, the point is this, Nineveh's value is infinitely more than this little plant. Even if, even if all the people in Nineveh deserve immediate judgment and death, what about all the cattle? What about all the, the cows? Even just these lives lost ought to give Jonah a little bit of help in feeling compassion for the city. God has every right as the creator of the world to show mercy to this city. 
Because even in their sin, they are valuable as, as the objects of his creation. And this doesn't mean that they were saved by their repentance in, in any sense of, of the way that we are, even in any of the sense uh, of the way that Israel was brought into relationship with God in the Old Testament. We know that Nineveh didn't become this, um, this city of Yahweh worshipers even for a generation. But, but God can still show mercy in this life to evil people on this, on this planet without, without um, conflict occurring in his character because he is their creator. Je Jesus said that God causes the rain to fall on the evil and the good. Right? They, might, may, they may not be innocent, but they don't have the spiritual leadership of Israel. Right? They don't have this revelation that God had given through Moses to his people. They don't know right from left. They don't know wrong from right. They are spiritually blind. So Jonah, why would you expect them to be spiritually pure? They may not be innocent, Jonah, but, but neither are you. That's God's response. And I think we've, we've absorbed a little bit of Jonah's attitude. And I think it actually comes from absorbing some of the culture's ways of thinking about humanity in general. Right? Very tribal. How much compassion should we have even for the evil people in violent countries? Human life, however wicked, is always human life. And we deceive ourselves if we think we have more value because of our faith or principles or morals, or our outlook on life. God holds up a mirror to Jonah. What mirror is he holding up to us? And I think, I think just one small way we can, we can see this is that the place Christians have had, you know, the, the position we have had in our culture, the position of, of influence in many ways, this is a, a relatively recent position. You know, a study of history will show that, that really not... Not that many places have had a, a, a very Christian um, Christian in, environment. We could, we could get into discussions about history, but the, the point is that if we are again being pushed back to the fringes of a society that does not understand our values, who are we to get so upset? Any influence we had in this world was appointed by God, and in his sovereign plan we may lose this influence again. We should never be more concerned about our place in society and our influence in culture as we are about the people of this society and their eternal direction. We should never care more about our position in society than society's position in eternity. The lesson of the book of Jonah is this. It is a lesson in understanding God's character, really, truly understanding it. It is a lesson of that knowing about God is not the same as knowing him. I knew a lot about my wife before we were married. But since we were married, I truly began to, to know her personality and her character by a, a day in and day out sort of experience. And because of this, my own behavior has been influenced I am much more organized now than I was five years ago, if you can believe it. Well, in this same way, Jonah knows who God is. You know, he even throws 
um, God's own description of himself back in God's face. But I would say he doesn't truly know God. That's one of the big questions in this book of Jonah as people are studying it. Is Jonah repentant or not? I would say at this point, no. Right? Because God's character itself is what makes Jonah ask to die. Is this the behavior of someone who truly fears God? No, I think, I think Jonah is a lesson to us that we may know about God without knowing him. We might even write psalms in, in the middle of an experience of God's mercy and never come to truly understand him. Jonah is meant to make us look at ourselves. And remember, this is, this is not a story about how bad Jonah is. Right? The story ends with a question mark. We don't know how Jonah responds to God's question. Maybe he, um, he actually did repent. Maybe he came back to Israel and, and he wrote down this lesson for us. It's, it's unsure, but we don't know. It's like the story of, of the prodigal son. The, the older son and the father, you know, after this younger son who had spent all of his dad's money, spat in his face and come back is welcomed home with open arms. This, this older brother stays outside of the party. He doesn't want to go in. He doesn't think the younger son deserves it. But he is, he is keeping himself out of, out of the expression of his own father's love. And so the father comes out to him and is inviting him inside. And then the story ends. We don't know how the older brother responds. We don't know how Jonah responds. Right? Jonah is meant to make us look at ourselves. It's open-ended for a reason. This is not a story about how bad Jonah is, but about how good God is, right? Because the more we, we come to understand God's mercy, the more we should come to see our need. We are just like Jonah, right? But we need to see God's mercy so we can see our need. And, and the more we see our need, the less we think we have to offer. The more we see our need, the clearer it becomes that we have not earned our relationship with God, the more we see our need, the more compassion we will have on others, no matter how evil, how violent, or how deceived they are. The, the people in this world who reject God today are alive today because they are still objects of his mercy. We should all see people first through this lens. Right? Because this is how God sees them. Otherwise, he would not have woken them up. He would not have caused the sun to rise on both evil and good this morning. And we should take a second to, to first view everyone in this, in this world the way that, that the, the, the rays of sunlight at dawn has seen them. When, when, we, when we take away from people the mercy that God is showing them, even just in, in giving them today, we put ourselves in the place of God. And we, we come very close to looking like Jonah. So we should cause mercy and compassion to rise in our hearts for all people, just as God has caused the sun to rise on both the evil and the good this morning. God will take care of justice in the end. I'm, I'm not saying that we should, we should forsake any sort of trying to be um, holy or pursue truth and righteousness, even in society. That's that's not what we're saying. I'm saying God will take care of justice in the end. Truth will win. But if, this, if God's son has come up today and God is in this way being merciful toward everyone who sees the light of day, is it right for us to withhold mercy first from the people to whom God is showing mercy? 
when we feel ourselves beginning to become angry or disappointed or upset with the world around us, we really ought to stop and consider the question, is it really good for us to be angry? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, I ask that you would you would show us today how to be merciful and compassionate. God, your love is, is beyond our reach. Your faithfulness stretches to the ends of this earth, to the ends of this ever-expanding universe. How can we come before you as sinners except, except by your mercy? God, you have made a way for us on the cross. Would you teach us to um, to look to the cross not only as a as a way of salvation for us, but as a as an example of the mercy we ought to have toward others. Lord, you guide us and keep us, lead us by your Holy Spirit into all truth, both in our in our heads and truth in our hearts. How we think about you and how we how we um, how we reflect your compassion towards those around us. Teach us. Uh, Teach us, Lord, to be compassionate, to see those around us, to, to see their need, or big or small. We pray these things in Jesus' name.